Good morning. It's good to see all of you. In 2004, a South African homeowner arrived at his home at 2 o'clock in the morning to what was a very unpleasant surprise. He encountered nine thieves, nine robbers carrying out bags of his belongings. There was a scuffle between him and two of the robbers, and, and they ended up landing in his, his pool. And one of the robbers jumped out and ran, and what he noticed about the other robber, he was still in the pool, but he was drowning, couldn't swim. And so he said to himself, I can't let this man drown, even though he's broken into my home and tried to steal my belongings. So he exercises compassion and mercy and rescues this drowning thief from his pool. And when this thief was rescued out of the pool, he began yelling at the other robbers to come back. And at that point, he pulled out his knife again and, and tried to hold up the homeowner. The homeowner was absolutely <laughs> infuriated, and he, they're standing by the pool, so he throws him back into the pool. This is a true story. And the man begins drowning again, and the homeowner, moved by compassion, jumps in to rescue him again, and the thief gets out of the pool, and instead of being thankful and, you know, relieved that he's alive, he, he, he begins acting very aggressively and combative, and, and the homeowner, I quote, said, it made me so angry that I started to throttle him with my bare hands. They were interrupted by the arrival of the police and private security, and this man's life was spared. Ingratitude is one of the boldest expressions of pride that there is. It is. Ingratitude is one of the boldest expressions of pride. By his marvelous grace, God has rescued the believer from both the bondage and penalty of sin. And there is only one proper response to that. Eternal gratitude. Thank you. Father, thank you that you became man in the person of Jesus Christ. You came to this earth. You took my death. The torture, the pain, the humiliation, the agony that you endured had my name on it. The blood that you shed that washes away all my sin. Thank you. God, thank you. God, you don't owe me anything. God, every day, all the time, thank you. Today, we're going to take a necessary detour from 1 Peter and consider the perils of ingratitude. The perils of ingratitude. I'm trusting God to reveal to us today that, please hear me, ingratitude places all of us in immediate danger with God. I am telling you, ingratitude to God is highly offensive. 
It is very offensive. The book of 2 Samuel focuses on the ascension of David to the throne and the establishment and expansion of his kingdom. Early in 2 Samuel, we see David exemplify a man who was a man after God's own heart. It's very beautiful. And after God made the covenant with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that we refer to doctrinally as the Davidic covenant, David was so overcome by God's grace and mercy and awe and all of that that he said, who am I, O Lord God? God, who am I that you would make such an eternal covenant with? He was speechless. But as we keep turning the pages in 2 Samuel, the tune of David's heart begins to change. And that becomes evident when we get to chapter 11, where he sees a married woman named Bathsheba bathing. He would then abuse his royal powers and having her brought to him where he lied with her. And once he learned of her pregnancy, he conspired to have her husband murdered to attempt to cover up what he'd done. And although he was drowning in conviction, his plan seemed to have worked for at least nine months. But that all came crashing down when God sent Nathan, the prophet, to uncover what David had been trying to cover up. Brothers and sisters, be sure your sin will find you out. It always does. So we pick up the narrative in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. So through the use of this parable by Nathan the prophet, David's sin has been escorted out of the darkness into the light. It's exposed. He's found out. But what we see in verses 7 and 8 reveals how David got to this point, and it reveals how we can get to this point too. Verse 7 and 8 reveal what God had done for David. Verse 7 says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. David had been appointed to the highest office of the land. What a privilege. What a blessing. What an honor to be the king over Israel. Israel was and is God's chosen the apple of his eye, the Bible tells us. What an honor. Verse 7 goes on to say, And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Had God not delivered David from the hand of Saul, David would have surely died by the hand of Saul. No doubt about it. 
God had saved David's life. He had saved his life. Verse 8, And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. As Saul's successor, David was entitled to everything that belonged to Saul. That was the custom of the day. So we shouldn't consider this as an endorsement for polygamy. Not the case. That was just the custom of the day. Additionally, there is no record of David ever actually taking Saul's wives. But again, everything that was Saul's, David would have inherited as the king. Verse 8 goes on to say, And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, David was from the tribe of Judah. And initially, when he is anointed in 2 Samuel, he's anointed as the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. But not over all of Israel. But as God would have it, and as God had promised, God began to work and move providentially moving through human events to get David to the throne, and God did that, and David became the king of not just Judah, but all of Israel. God was moving. But the point that God is trying to get across, was trying to get across to David, and is trying to get across to us this morning, is found in the rest of what we read in verse 8. Look at it again very carefully. And if that had been too little, if that had been too little, in other words, God had blessed David immensely. There's a bit of exaggeration here because what God had done was not little. <laughs> God had done much. But if that had been too little, David, it had not been too little with David. And listen, it's not been too little with you. Now, this is where it is very, very paramount that you... Uh, Turn up the intensity of your listening. Because if it is your belief that the blessings of God have been or are too little, then you are in the perils of ingratitude. You are in the perils of ingratitude. This means that you have positioned yourself before God for a bitter reaping. In other words, you are going to experience some things that are, and I'm not exaggerating, that will be dreadful. That will be very unkind. That will be extremely unpleasant. That will be grievous. That will be heavy. Had David sown seeds of gratitude, he would have reaped blessings. Even if he somehow needed more than what God had given him, God's response was that he would have given it to him. 
Look at verse 8 again. I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. So here we obliterate this fantasy, this dark, immature fantasy that God is this selfish cosmos who has all of this stuff, and he just teases us with it because, oh, you want a blessing? No, 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 no. No, God says, no, I, I, no, I want to bless you. I do. The problem was David had become ungrateful and entitled. That was the problem. He had become ungrateful and entitled. Please, in gratitude and an attitude of entitlement leads to covetousness and disobedience. If you are unthankful and it is your belief that somehow you should have more, you are covetous and you are disobedient. This is where God's blessings are too little and he owes us more. Can I confess something? God smote me. And, and, and this was, I mean, I was, I was man, we're going to forge on in First Peter. And, and, and let me tell you when that changed. That changed Friday morning during life prayer. And there was some, a, a discussion we were having. And, and, and I thought, well, Lord, are you, are you redirecting me for Sunday? And then here it is. This is going to blow some of you away. But I was leaving the gym Friday morning. And I got to the door. And subconsciously, I was waiting for it to just open. Like it was automated, right? You know how the sensor reads your body and it opens? And the door didn't open, and I'm like, I got to open the door? (laughs) You know how much money I pay a month for this membership? And 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 I'm going to tell you guys, it was, I was fearful. I mean, the Holy Spirit. You are put off that you have to open your own door. Man, look at your heart. What has happened in your life? Who do you think you are? That you have to open your own door. My former pastor was right. A lot of people would give anything to be poor in America. As Americans, we are so spoiled. So unthankful. So entitled. That's how we got here this morning. (laughs) In the time we have remaining, I want us to see why the position of ingratitude is so very dangerous. 
And my heart is that God would provoke all of us to be a thankful people all the time. My mother-in-law is up for Thanksgiving and uh, Lori's family. We had a great time. And I remember I said to her, I said, Mom, it feels like these last two years have felt like 10 rolled into two. And again, this was one of the things that God also used to get us to this message this morning. But, but with that, one of the things that you can lose when, t- when times are tough and things are hard and, and everywhere you turn, there's a struggle, there's a battle, there's a disappointment, there's a loss, there's a this, there's a that. Your, your perspective can change. And everything is negative. Everything is hard and, and you're moody and sour and all of that. You're not thankful. And God is not pleased with that. Look in verse 9 of 2 Samuel 12. Moreover, hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. This is tough to say, but it's true based on what we've just read. Ingratitude can produce a very low view of Scripture. can. I mean, this is found in the very context where God has just said to David, was it too little? (laughs) Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? That phrase, hast thou despised, I want you to listen to how it was also translated in our Old Testament. It was also translated as contemptible. Vile, contemned, disdain, scorn. When you're filled with ingratitude, which means you're very selfish, this is how you can actually get to the place. This can become your perspective, your view of God's word. You despise it. Why? Because you're, when you're selfish and you're filled with ingratitude, you are not going to be interested in anything that is not advantageous to you. And this is, this is vastly different from David's view of God's word at one point in his life. When the Philistines took him in Gath, listen to what his perspective was. Listen to what his view of God's word was. Look at Psalm 56, verse 10. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. So at this stage of David's life, he was praising God's word. But God has now accused him in 2 Samuel 12 here of despising it. How did David go from praising God's word to despising it? One of the ways that he got there, listen very carefully, ingratitude. He became unthankful. 
he became entitled. Whatever God had done for him, whatever God was doing in his life and in his ministry, he had crossed the line, which we can so easily do, to the point where, well, he was deserving of it. This is what God should be doing. This is how it should be working. This is the kind of victory I should be experiencing. Brothers and sisters, if it can happen to King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, if it can happen to him, who am I? Who are you? It can most definitely happen to you. And the reason that ingratitude is connected to having a very low view of Scripture is because, listen, what God's, one of the things that God's Word does is it keeps us in remembrance of God's goodness and His blessings. And what does that do? That provokes you to a place of gratitude. When you come face to face with the God of the scriptures and you see how marvelous his grace is and you see how amazing his mercy is and you see how enduring his love is and you see how warm his kindness is. How do you not become thankful? This is why, listen, no believer can get to the place of ingratitude without getting away from God's word. Once you begin to drift from the word of God, you begin drifting right toward ingratitude. Your perspective of God changes. Your perspective of life changes. Uh, here's the second thing. Ingratitude can lead to acts of evil. Most certainly can. Look at verse 9 again of 2 Samuel 12. To do evil in his sight. Now, this is very critical. This might be the most significant thing that I could say all morning. Would you consider it? The ungrateful believer does not love God or fear God. The ungrateful believer does not love God or fear him. Don't. Again, let me ask you this rhetorically. When it gets down to it, who can a selfish person love? No one except themselves. A selfish person can only love themselves. But let's validate this scripture. Look at Psalm 9710. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. What do we read in verse 9 of 2 Samuel 12? It says that David did what in God's sight? Evil. 
Well, if you love the Lord, you're going to hate evil. If you fear the Lord, you're going to hate evil, which means you're not going to practice that. Overall, did David love and fear God? Well, if you look at the the total body of the spiritual work of his life, we could say yes. But at this juncture in his life, he loved himself first and foremost. And that is exactly where ingratitude takes you. Ingratitude says that, listen, our desires are preeminent. In other words, whatever it is that I think I want or I think that I need to be satisfied, to be fulfilled, to be happy, is what I'm going to make first, preeminent. Period. And I could care less about what God's word says or any of that. I only care about what I think I need to be happy or fulfilled. That's how David despised the commandment of the Lord. He placed his selfish, lustful, carnal desires in front of God's word. That became preeminent. Anytime you do that, you're going to grieve God greatly and you're going to lose mightily. Verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son." For thou didst secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. And gratitude invites the chastisement of God. I would say it puts the welcome mat out for it. It says, come on in. God, I'll have it no other way. In Nathan's parable, in verse 6 here of 2 Samuel 12, David declared that the man who essentially did what he had done should pay fourfold. Of course, that was before David knew that he was that man. But David's reaping was at least fourfold. The child that was born out of that adulterous act with Bathsheba died. David's son, Amnon, raped his sister, David's daughter, Tamar. And his son, Absalom, was so infuriated by that that he killed Amnon. This is all David's house. His son, Absalom, led a revolt against David and Absalom was murdered by Joab. And when David was dying, his son Adonijah tried to swindle the throne. And his son Solomon had Adonijah put to death. Ingratitude invites a chastisement of God. This is what I'm saying. You get to the place where you say to God that what you've done is too little. And you owe me some stuff. 
you're saying, bring on the chastisement, God. And Absalom's revolt after David fled Jerusalem, they spread a tent on the roof where Absalom, just as God said, publicly went into David's concubines. That act was to establish Absalom as the new king now, but it also humiliated David. It was the ultimate act and sign of disrespect. Here's what's so ironic about it. From everything that I understand, this was probably the same roof that David stood on when he lusted in his heart at the Bathsheba. And now his son Absalom is on that very roof, humiliating him for all to see. Lastly, ingratitude can produce a very low view of God. You know, if nothing caught your attention out of everything that we've said today, I would hope that what we read in verse 10 might, because it most certainly gets mine. And God forbid that I would ever have God be able to say this about me. Verse 10, because thou hast despised me. Because thou hast despised me. This heightens the perils of ingratitude. We're talking about David's view of God now. Thou hast despised me. To despise God places you in clear and present danger with him. I've heard it said before, and I couldn't agree more. The most significant perspective in all of life is your perspective of God. How do you view him? How do you see him? Well... I'm not a genius, but I don't recommend despising him. I don't recommend that one. I think we hear about the importance of God's word so often in this place that I think over time it can sound like a broken record. Okay, I know I need to love the word of God. I need to read my Bible. I need to think on my Bible. I need to obey my Bible. I need to love my Bible. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. And they can kind of go in one ear and out the other. But let me tell you one of the reasons why we say that as much as we say it, and one of the reasons why we all need to hear it as much as it is said, because understand this, our view of Scripture establishes our view of God. That's why. That's why. Our view of Scripture establishes our view of God. So if we have a very low view of Scripture, what is our view of God going to be? 
Very low. <laughs> God and his word are inseparable. How you view one is how you're going to view the other. This is why it's so critical that you are walking with God through his word because his word is going to establish his, God's view for you in terms of how we see him. And what the scriptures are going to show us and tell us is that God is awesome, that he's loving, kind, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he desires a relationship with us. He's long-suffering. He's good. He's faithful. But man, when you're not walking with God through his word, you absolutely can get to the place where you despise him. You're watching TV and you're you're watching these last two years and, and there are... Listen, I'm not stupid. There are people in this church over the last two years who have been looking at God sideways. What's your problem? Why'd you let this happen? What are you doing? Do you know why a person does that? A person does that because they don't know the God of the Bible. If you knew the God of the Bible, you would never think like that. You would know who he is and who he's not. Brothers and sisters, the thankful believer, you understand something here. The thankful believer will be in the minority. If you're going to be a thankful believer, you will be in the spiritual minority. For sure. Let me... Try and prove that biblically. Look at Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Uh, that was a dreadful situation at that time. There were no dermatologists, if you would where you walk into a clean, fine, convenient doctor's office where the door is probably automatically open. <laughs> and the doc looks at you and says, let me write you a script, and you, you put it on, and a couple days later, man, you're batting a 1,000 again. That wasn't the situation at this time. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Is he not merciful, y'all? Isn't he merciful? And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And I'm sure, I mean, you imagine again, there were no dermatologists. This was a dreadful thing. It was debilitating. It was painful. It was awful. You were cast out of society. I mean, you did not want to be a leper. So to have been cleansed on the spot, I mean, isn't it safe for all of us to assume that all 10 of these men came roaring back 
falling on their face, throwing themselves at his feet. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, you are so merciful and so kind. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. That's what happened, right? Let's keep reading. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? And again, uh, just so we're clear, whenever the Lord asks questions in Scripture, he's never asking questions to get answers. He's asking questions to give them. But where are the nine? It's funny, we started talking about nine robbers earlier, didn't we? Hmm. There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. That's why I say, if you're going to be a thankful believer, you're going to be in the minority especially in this country <laughs> where God, it, I mean, all of us, I mean, you, you would think that God doesn't pay his bills because Christians act like collectors where they're hounding God in prayer because God somehow owes them. He has defaulted on them somehow. And that's how they use prayer. They use prayer as an opportunity to call God up and say, here, I'm here to collect, pay me. This is a fallen world, and in a fallen world, unpleasant things happen. But when the station of your life is set to complaining, and whining, and griping, and being negative, and sour, and frustrated, and cantankerous, and mean, moody. Discontent, perpetually unhappy. Nothing's ever good enough. No matter what, nothing's ever good enough. I mean, people, I mean, forget about, okay, God, okay. But, but, but husbands and wives and children and pastors and brothers and sisters, uh, people are trying to be kind, and, and it's just never enough. Our memory is so short. It's always, but what have you done for me lately? Uh, I try to be an open book with you guys because I'm made of the same stuff you're made of. At the marriage retreat, we had a lot of time to talk, did we not? Husbands and wives. One of the things Lori shared with me, it was very hard to hear, but I needed to hear it. My wife is very kind and she's very gracious with her words and her tone. But she let me know that sometimes she struggles 
because I don't, um, I don't take things home and just unload on her. So I will bottle things up. I will suppress. But when I do that, I, I retreat. I withdraw. And so she's left wondering, well, I feel like something's wrong. Is it me? Is it the children? Is it... it, it And then that, she says, sometimes it, when you're like that, you just, um, you, you feel, you seem cold, you seem distant. That wasn't time for me to get defensive. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. No, I, I, I needed to hear every word of that. But you know what it was connected to? Am I thankful? Yeah, it's been a rough two years. But what am I choosing to think on? Because God has done a lot in these two years. There's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to give God glory and praise and thanks over. And and one of the things, listen, there's nothing wrong with me coming home and saying, hey, let's uh, let's just go sit outside around the fire pit and let's just pray for a while. Again, I don't need Lori to try and fix anything. or that, that's, But for us together to just pour our hearts out together to the Lord and give it to him, we, well, praise God. That's how we deal with that. But I want to make sure you understand something. When whining and complaining and griping and being negative and all that, when that is what the station of your life is set to, here's what God is hearing. What you've done, God, is too little. What God is hearing is ingratitude and entitlement. And you are in trouble. In terms of closing this morning, I want to challenge husbands and wives this week. Husbands, starting with you. Husbands, let me just tell you, whenever I've done this, do you know what I hear most of the time? You know what I hear when I give assignments like this? Most of the time, I hear the wives coming to me saying, what do I do? He hasn't said anything. And the wives are like, thank you. Okay? If you're a husband, raise your hand. Okay, I'm really talking to you. Okay? I want you to take some time this week. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you every day. And I want you to, from your time with the Lord or however that that shakes out, I just want you to write down every day things that you're thankful for. Wives, you do the same. And husbands, I want you to get with your wife at some point in every day this week. And I want both of you to share your list of things that you are so very thankful for. And then together, give God thanks in prayer. How about that? If you're single, you do the same thing. And you know what you can do? Man, you find someone that you love and someone that loves you, and every day you just text them, hey, I just want you to know I am so thankful today for these things. Amen? Amen. Lord, The perils of ingratitude 
Lord, we want to avoid that. (laughs) Oh, God, we do. And, Lord, we could fill the space today and every day, all of us just recounting your many blessings in our lives. God, you have been so very good. God, thank you. And thank you for dealing with me and the things that you've been showing me and how without me even realizing it, how you've been preparing my heart for this message this morning. I do pray that it was glorifying to you and that it was edifying to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.